All right, everybody, welcome to the Eternal Leadership Podcast. And today we have a very special guest. We have Caruso, as in David Robinson Caruso. Caruso was your call sign when you were a Navy, or I mean, Marine Corps Hornet pilot. And um, Caruso, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, John. It's an honor and a privilege to be with you. Well, you know, it's so great to have you here. You know, a friend of mine reached out to me and said, hey, you got to meet my friend David. He flew in the Marine Corps. He was a Hornet pilot. He went to Top Gun. He instructed at Top Gun. And now he retired from the Marine Corps as a colonel. He's getting out and he's doing all these incredible things with leaders and, and culture. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, I'd, I'd love to talk. And because, um, you know, uh, David, back in the day, I got orders to go to Top Gun as a student to go through. And man, that was one of the best days of my life. But you know, the next weekend, I actually got hit with a softball. I was playing softball in the squadron league. And one of my friends, um, his, uh, her husband is a Hornet pilot in the Marines. And when he graduated flight school recently, they said, well, I heard about you. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm like, was it good or bad? She's like, well, <laughs> no, they actually, you, playing softball is a prohibited activity for pilots. And they actually said, hey, there was this guy. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm the guy. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know what? You have had an incredible career. And one of the things, um, folks, as you're listening, I want to put things in context. When I was a Navy officer, the most impressive leaders that I knew personally, that I just held to a high regard, that I respected, were the Marines. It is not just about, there's other organizations, I won't name or say that, you know, like places like the Air Force just go and fly their machine and go home. David's smiling here on the camera. You know what? In the Marines, you are a leader first. You get the mission done, you take care of your people, and in addition to all that, you got to go fly a combat aircraft. Is that correct, Dave? Absolutely. Yeah, we always say that we're, uh, you know, uh, riflemen first, uh, then and then pilot second, or whatever your specialty is. And so leadership is really the core and the foundation, as you just alluded to, John, of everything we do. Yeah, and I want you to just think about this. Imagine, you know, in our world, as we talk about diversity, inclusion, opportunity, when you're in a, uh, in a squadron or a platoon or a company, and you have people from literally every walk of life, every core belief, every background, every race, and they're thrown together, and you have to, it is the entire, not just the leader, but that entire group's responsibility, what they're being held accountable for, is to come together to accomplish a mission, which is critically important. And in that, here's what I know. David is somebody who's mastered this as a colonel. He teaches it. He works with just a little bit. Your company is called Vertical Performance. You are now a senior advisor to a number of Fortune 1000 companies. You speak on leadership effectiveness. You have this huge passion, which I share, about how do we help leaders inspire the team so that together they can actually change the world, make things better. And that's what we're going to be talking about today, because in that, here's what I know. Recently, Dave, um, I read a great book, and it's called It's the Manager. It's a book by Gallup, and it's based on tens of thousands of interviews and research. So if you guys are listening to this out there right now, this was Gallup's conclusion in this book. 70% of the success of, the, of your organization long term 
is dependent on the leadership qualities of your first level supervisors. You know, think about that. That might sound intuitive. That is the experience of all the people in your organization, all your employees, they're coming, they're going. That is their big interface, mostly. Maybe their boss and, and then the, maybe the boss above that day to day. Now, do you know that the average person, Dave, I don't know if you've read this stat, of all the companies Gallup interviewed, of personal leadership mentorship, the average employee in the U.S. right now gets 22 minutes in every six months. So does anybody ever wonder why we have a leadership crisis, why our teams are not high performing? And here's the good thing. Dave and I are going to have a conversation and share some things with you on what you can control, not what you can't control, but you have the ability to influence and create a culture to focus on. This is the Dave's uh, framework is that, well, maybe we can start there, Dave. Share with them a little about the leadership triad because these are all things that we have the ability, regardless of our level of leadership, whether we're a member of a team or a CEO, that we actually do have control over. And it's a lot more control than people realize. Yeah, John, thanks for asking. Yeah, I, I, uh, the framework that I bring to leadership to help leaders really um, focus their time. We all have limited time and energy to, to apply to leadership. And as you alluded to, it's so important uh, for every organization. You know, just a quick backstory about how I developed it. Um, you know, spent 25 years in the U.S. Marines. And so I just had the privilege of learning from some really great leaders and working with some really great leaders who, who taught me to lead. I, there are probably a few born leaders out there somewhere in the world, but most of us, including me, have to learn to lead. And they were so influential in, in teaching me how to lead. When I transitioned from the Marines to the private sector uh, a decade ago, a friend of mine asked if I could um, speak to a group of Fortune 100 executives about how to lead a high-performing team. And so um, I, I was honored that he asked, and I, I you know, said, sure, I'd love to put some thoughts together. But the talk was supposed to be about 45 minutes, and I realized how hard it was to try to condense three decades of leadership lessons into a 45-minute talk. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, what if I just signed myself up for here? And so it really forced me, John, to really synthesize and condense what matters most about leading a high-performing team. And so I look back over all of my leadership experiences as a follower, as a leader, as a commanding officer, as a Top Gun instructor, and you know, many other opportunities. And uh, I landed on three key focus areas, uh, which I call the leadership triad. The first area is culture. The second area uh, is your people, your most valuable asset in, <clears throat> in any organization, in my experience. And the third area is mission focus. And when it comes to culture, I talk about how important it is to have the three C's, and that's a, a culture of character, a culture of competence, and a culture of composure. And when I talk about you know, focusing on your people, I talk about how important it is to build a foundation of respect by respecting your people and then second is knowing your people, which is really important based on that 22 minutes of interaction every six months that the average leader has, right? You can't know your people in 22 minutes every six months, right? Right. We can do check. I mean, think about it, right? There's a lot more interaction than that. And so I think there's a false notion around managers. I put, if I'm check, Dave, if you're coming in checking with me and just say, hey, John, wh where are you going with the taskers, right? Uh, where are we with the project status? Hey, how are, how are the people on your team? But I'm not... That is not leading somebody. That is managing them by checking in and 
in figuring out workflow, workload. Is that a fair observation, Dave? Absolutely, John. I mean, every a lot of people ask me, what's the difference between management and leadership? And my simple answer is that management is process centric, just like you alluded to, how are we tracking on our process? But leadership is people centric. And so that's why that second dimension of the triad is the people dimension. Knowing your people is not just about knowing how they are on the tasks that you've assigned them. It's knowing about their personal and professional challenges and how we can help them through. It can't stop there. The third dimension there is being able to uh, really take care of our people. And, and that involves putting their welfare ahead of our own. And then the last piece there, I talk about mission focus, which is for me all about prioritization, preparation for uh, tomorrow's opportunity. And then finally, it's just a passion for excellence and driving that team to aspire to be all that they can be. When you're looking at leadership and creating a high performing team, okay, let me define a couple of things. A, I think leadership is actually having, you know, that positive influence and impact on other people, right? I think from a kingdom perspective, but I actually want to look at things from a biblical perspective as a leadership. You know, it says that there is no love greater than this, that I lay down my life for another. I honestly think that is this beautiful example of kingdom leadership. What if I actually lay down my, uh, not just my life, but how about my agenda? What if I lay down my agenda to serve the, the agenda, the mission of the organization, to serve the people? Because what I found was when I wasn't worried about getting the credit, and I helped everybody around me succeed. I created an environment that they loved being part of. All of a sudden, anything that you wanted to measure about me or that the organization was measuring about me, about my goals, man, I, I was at the top. And I got to tell you, in the beginning, that felt really counterintuitive, right? And I really think that is servant leadership. A lot of times we get servant leadership wrong, but I'd love your just take on almost the mindset, Dave, that a young or a senior leader needs to maybe have when they're approaching, trying to maybe make some changes to a team to, you know, better their performance. Yeah, thanks for asking, John. And my perspective is, uh, you know, exactly the same as yours. I mean, I believe that leadership is all about serving others. Um, you know, I I love in, in Mark chapter 10, verse 43, when the disciples were quibbling about who was the greatest, you know, Christ said, whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And so that has really resonated with in, me. In that typical conversation too. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Hey, who's better? You know what? I think I might be better than Brian. Well, <laughs> no, Brian's a better server. Like, darn it. It really puts it in perspective, but you know, as Christ followers, uh, I'm just so grateful for his example of, humility and service and the ultimate sacrifice. And, um, you know, for me, leadership has been about serving others uh, who we are privileged to steward, to serve, and to lead. And, you know, I, I mentioned that leadership triad a minute ago. Um, you know, for me, the culture piece really is all about integrity and doing the right thing for the right reasons, not for your own personal agenda as a leader. And then the, the people part is all about putting the welfare of others ahead of our own. That's hard, right? It is, but that's really what that's all about. And then the mission part is about staying focused on the mission that God has given us. And, uh, and Christ was so good at, at staying focused on his mission. So if we look at all of those different areas that you mentioned, where was a time where some of those really came into sharp focus for you, David? Because maybe in that situation, 
like you did not, you look at it in hindsight, like, okay, that was not my best work. I think sometimes we learn from those mistakes and we go, okay, that is how I learned to get better. Yeah. Well, I can tell you a quick story about that. I was- Yeah, um, please. I love stories. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned uh, in the intro there, I uh, was a Top Gun instructor, obviously went to Top Gun before that. And, um, you know, uh, when I returned from the Top Gun course, I was the training officer in an F-18 squadron here in South Carolina, where I currently live. And my job was to train all of the new rookie pilots in the squadron that you're very familiar with as an ex-F-14 pilot. Yep. And one of those junior pilots uh, was a, a Marine captain named Patrick. Uh, he was from Boston. And he had an intangible maturity about him, John, that everyone could see, our commanding officer uh, could see it. He put him in charge of the airframes division, which, uh, as you know, is the largest in the maintenance department, uh, you know, just you know, rough and tough Marines that just love to bend metal and fix airplanes more than anything else. But what was very clear to all of us uh, was that all of those Marines, they, many of them grew up in very challenging backgrounds, didn't have positive role models. Every single one of them, all 60 of his Marines would follow Patrick anywhere and do anything for him. It was just amazing. And so after one of our flights together, one of our training flights, uh, I sat down on the, uh, at the table in the briefing room opposite Patrick. And I said, Patrick, I'd, I'd love to ask you a question. It's clear that all of your Marines would do anything for you. What is your secret? What is your leadership secret? And he looked me straight in the eye and said, Crusoe, there's no secret. It's really easy, at least in theory, but it's really difficult in practice. Here's the bottom line. Your people, your Marines have to know beyond a doubt that you care more about their welfare than you care about your own. And I'll tell you, John, I'm ashamed to say it, but I sank down in my chair because I could not look myself in the mirror at that point in my career and say that about myself, about my leadership style. But it was a turning point because uh, I learned real, uh, two really valuable, important lessons from that. First of all, if we're gonna grow and develop as a leader, we have to acknowledge our gaps and find mentors. Uh, and Patrick's been a leadership mentor of mine and a great friend ever since that can help us uh, grow as a leader. But the second lesson was perhaps one of the most important, valuable lessons that I've ever learned as a leader. But the first one, just to reiterate, was is the reason, did he, was his call sign Patty, by the way? No, it was, uh, his last name was Guiney. So was his, his, his call sign was Pig. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, Patrick, um, People have to know that you care about them more than you care about yourself. And I got to tell you, that is a lens and a focus uh, that I think in this period right now, I, I just want to just reiterate what we've gone through the last year and a half, folks, as you're listening to this. And then we're going into this year, like, you know, things are like, we thought like we were going to have some light at the end of the tunnel. And I felt like the light was this passing thing, right? Is what it feels like to a lot of people. Here's what I believe is right now in this period of time as a leader, do you know what your people are going to remember? Not what you did, not how much you got done, not how much profit you drove. They are going to remember how you showed up in their lives. Right now, do they know that you care? Are you interested in who they are as a person? Are you talking and working with them to help them connect the mission of the organization to something that's meaningful and personal to them so they can understand, hey, why am I going through all this stuff? 
This is a time right now that we can step into a gap and become and have this period of time when people look back five, 10, 20 years and go, you know what? I remember when I was able to work with Dave, that was that period of time that just helped me kind of get focused, helped me get through some hard times, helped me see something in myself that I didn't see in others. That all flows from that place that David just described. And I really appreciate you bringing that up, Dave. Yeah, John, I couldn't agree more. And that's, uh, you know, a great uh, segue into the second lesson that I learned. And that is um, not only do we need to acknowledge our gaps and develop as a leader and put others welfare uh, ahead of our own, but uh, to the extent that we take care of our people, if we take care of our people, what I found is that they, they will always take care of us as leaders in doing whatever it takes to accomplish the mission. And so when we come alongside them to learn about their challenges, to really know them, to spend not 22 minutes every six months, but 22 minutes every day, if possible, learning about their challenges and helping them through and really putting their welfare ahead of our own. I have found that people will do extraordinary things to help the organization and the team accomplish the mission. Now, here's the question is, how do I start doing that more? Like you talked about, hey, I looked like, you know, Patrick shared that with you and you're like, oh boy. That seems like a big change for me and how I'm showing up. That was some pretty good awareness. What did it take for you, Dave, to kind of move into leading differently? Because that's what we're talking about. Yeah. Well, first, it took a, a commitment to become a better leader, uh, you know, and, and it took a continuous focus and really just an intentional effort, John, to improve in that area. And you know, when I talked earlier about the culture, people, mission, leadership triad, I found that there's always some tension in that triad, and it's most apparent to me in the dimension between people and mission. And I found it's sometimes a result of how we're wired as people. Some of us are very task-oriented, very mission-focused. Others of us are, are more, you know, relationship and people-focused. And I found as a leader, it's important to balance those two. I'll admit I was overly focused and indexed on the mission accomplishment side to the expense of people around me. And it's something I'm not proud of, but I've, I've learned a lot over the years, uh, thankfully. It really took, uh, first of all, a mindset change to understand that it's our people uh, that are inspired and that are working together that enable us to accomplish our mission. Uh, so that was the mindset shift. And the second yeah, so one- what I just heard in there, Dave, was, um, you know, you're uh a goal setter, right? We have things we have to get done. If I'm focused on that, what that, in doing that, all of a sudden the people almost become, I hate to say this, almost tools or objects in my environment to accomplish the mission for the things that I'm going to be recognized for. But flipping that around, and as I see them as people, get to know them, I uh, help develop them, I disciple them, I mentor them. And in doing that, I can actually accomplish the mission better. But that is a pretty, that's a shift in mindset I had to go through myself is to start seeing people as actual humans with deep, unique value versus people in my org chart that are gonna help me accomplish certain goals. Is that, does that ring true? Rings true with me, John, and many of the leaders that I work with. I mean, uh, you know, when you start to prioritize your people and really pour yourself into them, uh, taking care of them, knowing them, and making sure that you respect everyone to the extent that you treat them like you would want to be treated, 
you know, it's really a game changer because then what I found is now they feel inspired and empowered to accomplish the mission. And I'll take that even a step further. And that is, uh, you know, once we do that, uh, there's a certain amount of buy-in that's generated from those that we're privileged to lead. And when that happens, then they begin to buy into the mission even more. And if we're willing to empower them to come up with the how with regard to that mission, rather than telling them what we need to do, what our mission is, and how we're going to get there, you know, the third level of trust here is about defining the what, but then empowering the people uh, on your team to figure out the how. Because, John, I found that many times when I thought I knew exactly how to accomplish the mission, they had better ideas. And uh, when, to the extent I was willing to listen to those ideas, our team was performing uh, much better than they would have otherwise had we just done what I thought we should do. Okay, that shift, right? Well, first of all, too, you, the, you know, everybody listening, uh, Dave just wrote a phenomenal book. It's called The Substance of Leadership. It's a, a practical framework for effectively leading a high-performing team. And, you know, your approach to leadership so resonates with mine. And if you guys are out there and you're in, in a role right now, leading a team from a team leader to a CEO, you know what? We can just always get better. I have a question for you because I know you've had to do this. In the military, what I found, here's one big parallel to business. I worked for some extraordinary leaders. One of my commanding officers from 30 years ago, Dave, is still one of my mentors. He was just so influential in my life, right? Challenged me every time to be a great leader. But then we also have leaders that are totally just focused on self and mission. And they, in your come in and you inherit a team and a culture that's not healthy, right? And what we have to do is influence that culture over time to be healthier, where people come in, they do their best work, they're connected to the mission. And when I'm coming into a team where there's uh, definitely some improvements to be made, how we're communicating, how we're dealing with conflict, how we're engaging, you know, the best out of each person that really helps us to be innovative and creative and productive. Where do we start with that? Well, great question. It's a challenging question. Um, John, I think what I'm hearing from you is, um, you know, as, as a leader, if you recognize that there needs to be a change um, and that there's probably some culture change involved, how do you do that? How do you start that? How do you, um, you know, implement that? couple of thoughts as I'm just uh, reflecting on what you're asking. First of all, you know, I, I'd recommend starting with that leadership triad that we just discussed and maybe uh, assess the organization and the team around what is the culture? Does the culture uh, match what you aspire a culture to be on a high-performing team? You know, maybe uh, take a look at what's the character of that culture and, you know, are you technically competent? And, you know, are you composed under pressure? Um, those are three key questions that I found are important. And then take a look at the people. I mean, do the people, uh, you know, feel empowered, respected, uh, inspired? Uh, if not, you know, what are some ways to, to approach that? And then maybe look at mission clarity. Is it definable? I've worked with a lot of teams that really don't have a, a clear, defined mission. And so, you know, maybe with that lens, I'd recommend uh, three steps that I found important. You, know, you and I are both familiar with this idea in the military of every commanding officer has a philosophy of command. And I've kind of adapted that and translated that with business leaders into what I call a leader's intent. And I think it's a way to begin to articulate and connect 
your aspired culture to your mission. And so I ask leaders to think about a few things and to put it on paper. Number one, how would you define your mission? Uh, number two, what is your vision? In other words, what does success look like, uh, you know, in six months, a year, two years, whatever the horizon might be? Number three, what are your values? Uh, you know, your core values are the heart of your culture. Uh, number four, uh, what are your goals and priorities? Because, uh, you know, when everything's a priority, nothing's a priority. So really get focused on what matters most. And then finally, uh, what are your expectations in two ways? First of all, what can your team expect from you as a leader and what do you expect from them? And so that's, that's a leader's intent that you can begin to really get clear on. And then the next thing I would encourage leaders to do is to set the example and hold yourself to an even higher standard than you expect from your team. And then finally, as we all know, having standards that you don't inspect, you know, tend to um, not be followed or adhered to. So we need to inspect what we expect from our people. And those are just my initial reflections to your question. Love to hear your thoughts. No, I, I love that flow. And in this kind of this world that I believe has become a lot more focused on the transactions in the work versus the people. I think it's that shift toward more of what we're talking about, right, is that human side of leadership. And I'm just picturing, you know, somebody out there like, okay, here's my mission. It's to get this stuff done, right? What does success look like? And the easy answers are some of the numbers, the metrics, the KPIs, the OKRs, whatever you're using. And if that is kind of my initial thought, how do I bring that into the realm of, hey, what does success look like with my people? Dave, how would you, if somebody asked you that question, like, you know, what does it look like for me to have success with my people in addition to some of these measurable things that I have to, that I'm also being held accountable for? Well, I think uh, maybe two thoughts, John, uh, reflecting on what you just said. First of all, um, for me, you know, to feel like that my people are being taken care of and focused on and invested in, first of all, I would ask, you know, do they feel respected and valued? The second question I would ask is, do they um, feel like they're emotionally invested in mission success? And then the third question I might ask is, do they feel like that they're a part of something larger than themselves? And so that's kind of my litmus test for, uh, you know, are we properly focusing on our people? Because it really is about, are they inspired? Do they feel empowered to contribute to the team? You know, a real game changer for leaders that I think is underutilized is just having recurring and regular one-on-one -on -one conversations with your people. I mean, I recommend that every leader has at least 30 minutes a week of intentional time of talking with those who uh, report to them about what their personal and professional challenges are, uh, what their goals and priorities are, and, and make it a two-way conversation where you really are trying to understand their challenges so that you can support them in overcoming those challenges and help support them in achieving your team's mission. Yeah. And, you know, here, here's an exercise I think, you know, folks out there you can do is just write this out, right? You talk about defining the mission, but I think, you know what, we can, we, we have the ability to write, rewrite the script. Ask yourself, right? Like Dave said, hey, he had some of these moments of some self-awareness. He got some feedback. He reached out to people he respected and said, hey, how are you able to lead so well? And in that, 
write down, hey, a year from now, let's say you're getting together with your team and your team, you know, got together and, and you did a 360, right? And you gathered input from your peers, your coworkers, your direct reports, your, your managers. And if you're looking at that report, you're going, oh, wow, did I make some positive change over the last 12 months? And this is exactly what I was hoping to see. This is the changes I wanted to make. What would that look like? Write it out right now. What is that vision that of you as a leader? What is that leadership brand? How are you being experienced? And when we do that, and then we say, okay, there's a big gap between who I am today and that leader. Guess what? Now you have, let's say you have a relationship. Let's say I was working for Dave and Dave, if I came to you and said, hey, you know what? I would A, like some feedback, but here's some things that I and seeing in myself and some things I need to work on, don't even really know how to change some of these things, but I know I need to. I'm guessing that you would sit down with me and help me come up with a plan and say, okay, John, when we get together uh, every week, we're going to be focusing on some of these things. How does that sound? So I think that can be just a great way to get started. What do you think, Dave? Oh, I couldn't agree more, John. I think, um, you know, just having those honest conversations about, uh, you know, how, uh, you know, for example, if I was working for you, um, you know, how you could mentor me and help me uh, with those gaps. And, you know, I think it all comes from a place of humility, because when I'm having conversations with those that report to me, I also want to make sure I'm intentional about asking feet for feedback about how I can be a better, more supportive leader for them. And so it's a, a learning opportunity on both sides of that equation. All right. Now, how do people get in touch with you, your, your website, find your book, Dave, plug into, you know, some of the things that you're doing? Oh, well, thank you for asking. Yeah. So uh, my website is verticalperformance.us. And uh, my book is available on Amazon. It'll be released on September 21st. The Substance of Leadership, a Practical Framework for Effectively Leading a High-Performing Team. On my website, uh, on the landing page, there's also, in the meantime, something I call the performance pressure test. And so that's a 15-question a quiz that can give leaders insights into many of the things we've talked about here, John, with regard to um, giving them an indication on some areas that they might want to focus on to become better leaders of a high-performing team. So I uh, uh, hope everyone uh, has a chance to check that out. Thank you for that. And um... You know, just as we wrap up, Dave, you know, we have a lot of leaders in our audience from CEOs of Fortune 500 companies to, you know, pastors of churches to people leading a nonprofit. Um, what final thoughts do you have for people to start making that shift that really would make bringing that performance of the team up a level just a little bit easier? Well, John, I think, uh, you know, at the risk of oversimplifying here and, and uh, you know, leadership is complicated, but uh, since you asked me, I think it really, what I would recommend, it comes down to, um, you know, the conversation that you and I had about putting others first and really uh, looking at leadership as an opportunity to serve those that are entrusted to our leadership and really taking that, you know, management and leadership pyramid that we're so used to seeing and turning that upside down where we see ourselves as leaders, as uh, individuals who are empowered to support and help those that are on our team. So that was the real game changer for me in terms of uh, shifting my mindset. And um, that's uh, what I would encourage other leaders to do as well. 
Yeah, it, because, you know, when we do that, um, you know, servant leadership, I think, uh, gets misunderstood oftentimes. And uh, a friend of mine, uh, Ford Taylor, talks about, right, command control, that might be like what I've been taught. And I can get things directed and telling people what to do. And I have really good results. And then I want to kind of turn it upside down and kind of let go a little bit and empower them. And all of a sudden, my what can tend to happen is the results are not as good. Okay. What's missing there is I've missed a couple steps. So what happens then is I switch back to command control and get everything all nice and right. And then this back and forth is really hard for a team. And I think when, if we really look at it as, okay, what does it take to really help somebody on my team succeed? A, like you said, getting to know them. What do they need for their job role, both professional skills and experience, but also personal skills and experience? We're, we're in this unique position as a leader sometimes to give people feedback that they need to hear. But if we do it from a place of kindness, like some of the most difficult feedback I've ever gotten, Dave, was hard to hear. I mean, some of the best feedback, like, hey, John, you know what? People lo really love working for you, but you know what? Your peers all think you are very arrogant. I would like to promote you, but I think the people that would now report to you would probably quit. I'm like, wow, that was hard to hear, hmm. right? Because I had this amazing relationship with my team, but I didn't have those kind of relationships outside of my team. And I had to really work on some changes in my attitudes toward others. So that wasn't nice. It didn't feel nice. But honestly, that was one of the kindest things that probably could have been said to me in that moment, because I also knew the person giving me that feedback cared about me as a person and as a leader and my ability to succeed in the organization. So it's also the place that some of that comes from. It didn't come, it didn't come from a place of just being critical, like, you know, boom, it was like, no, we're going to work on this because, hey, I want to be able to promote you if that opportunity comes around. That's not a guarantee or anything. I, you know, the person was very clear about that, but he goes, I, I want to be able to. In that, I started looking at my relationships and how I worked with everybody differently. And it, it was, that was a transformative moment. So I love everything that you said. This book, uh, I know some of the people that also, uh, endorsed the book just some, some good friends of mine here which tells me man this is uh an approach folks that works and with david's background and experience you know the one thing that just became clear at this whole interview i hope everybody heard it the thread that ran through all of this is just seeing the value and the importance of having relationships and getting to know your people because if we don't know them as individuals we really can't influence them in a positive way. We can force them to do things maybe because of our, our position and our title, but we've all worked for somebody like that. And no, none of us like it. So let's not be that leader out there in the world. So David, thank you for coming on. You're welcome to come back anytime. I'd, we'll have to talk about some more flying stories too. Maybe next time uh, we should do like a little thing like and just take different flying stories and relate things that we learned from that period of time and relate it out into what we're doing in the world because i think we both do that so i love that absolutely all right crusoe keep knocking them alive out there my friend okay thank you very much john a pleasure to be on your show and a real privilege thanks a lot